Welcome back to Homestuck Made This World, a show about the critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. We have finally begun episode two, where we are going to talk about act three and the intermission. Welcome to Homestuck Made This World, a show about critical analysis and contextualization of the webcomic Homestuck. This is episode two, part one, where we will be talking about uh, act three up to page 952. I'm Michael, and with me is Cameron. Yep. It's me. Still here. That's It's me with my Colonel Sassaker volume. That's me in the spot. Light. Mm hmm. Losing. Read, all reading my about Homestuck. <laughs> oh. Look, I'm going to say this. Uh, the Gushers humor has not aged well. I'm not even sure if it aged for the time. <laughs> it struck me as extremely strange, even in the moment. <laughs> it's um, a lot of Gushers talk. I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves yeah. here, but uh, there's a lot of Gushers talk. Gushers, of course, meaning the um, uh, goo-filled gelatin candy, mm-hmm. and uh, popular in the 1990s. And there's a lot of that happening here uh, in this comic, and I just have to come out. I got to come out with a controversial take here to begin with. Um, gushers have never been good, mm-hmm. e- even one time. Their dis- the texture, their texture is gross. It is actively disgusting. Mm-hmm. Um and uh, the jokes aren't good. That's me. That's just I gotta I gotta speak my truth here on the show. That's my first feelings mm-hmm. about uh, Act Two. Great. Well, we'll see how this develops. I'm gonna do the summary. Mm-hmm. Please do. <clears throat> Act Three begins with a note in the flyleaf of the ancient Sassaker book an inscription to John from his Nana, in which she regrets not being able to give him this family heirloom in person and hints at somehow knowing more about the game prior to her death than would seem possible. Then we are introduced to the fourth kid, Garden Gnostic, a girl named Jade Harley. Jade leads an enchanted life in an unusual house filled with futuristic technology and exotic objects, all located on what turns out to be the Pacific island that hosts the now-dormant volcano and the frog temple ruins glimpsed in the end-of-act-2 animation. Though she is slightly scattered and suffers from narcolepsy, Jade manages to have some silly, light-hearted adventures around her house. Jade is contacted by a cantankerous internet troll named Carcinogeneticist, who seems to have some sort of foreknowledge of events to come, and accuses Jade and her friends of, quote, fucking everything up. She also crosses paths with her wealthy industrialist big game hunter grandfather, who turns out to be dead and taxidermied, because alright, whatever, and then she heads off out to feed her pet slash devil beast Becquerel, or Beck. Meanwhile, Dave begins his rooftop duel with Bro and Lil Cal and proceeds to get his ass kicked for the rest of the act. Simultaneously, Rose ventures into the hidden tunnel her mom opened and follows it to the lab behind her house, which turns out to house a place called Skyanet, with instruments tracking the apocalyptic reign of meteors. In Earth's future, the peregrine mendicant, who loves mail and mail delivery, enters and activates the orb we last saw her passing, which turns out to be a station much like the one WV found. It flies westward, but when PM uses a terminal to communicate with Jade, who PM seems somehow to recognize, the terminal explodes. 
At his house, John fights some monsters and then, for the first time ever, enters his dad's room, where he is shocked to discover his dad was not a street performer at all and has no actual apparent interest in clowns. He's just a boring businessman. Back in the lab, Rose discovers a cloning device that operates on the principle of ectobiology and has been used unsuccessfully to clone her dead cat Jaspers by somehow scanning his genetic code from the past. Through this device, Rose views a point in her childhood where Jaspers told her a mysterious secret before suddenly disappearing and then later reappearing, but as a corpse. Elsewhere, Dad escapes from imp captivity while a sour-faced but possibly somehow familiar bureaucrat watches. Unexpectedly, the bureaucrat becomes the focus of the narrative and the prompt asks for his name, at which point we break. So, kind of a, a, a lighter act, uh, especially, well, not act, I guess, but, you know, part or episode here compared to what we've done before. Um, but there is, you know, there's a lot that's being done here that I didn't include in the summary because a lot of it's just kind of the characterization of Jade and like introducing us to all of the stuff around her her house and the island and so on um, and I figured we could talk through that uh, as much as we wanted to rather than me trying to like figure out which details I wanted to include in a summary absolutely uh, we should talk about this uh, huge lore dump that happens mm -hmm. at the very beginning of the act yes um, I don't know how I feel about this. In what sense? In the sense that... I... It's hard for me to phrase this because I don't want you to reveal anything to me. Because I, as we've talked about many times, remain beautifully ignorant of what is to come for the most part. Mm-hmm. But it seems like they're getting some real um, big old fantasy novel horse shit going on here, mm -hmm. right? So in this in this uh, Colonel Sassaker's thing, you know that the note that Nana writes in here is, uh, but is your it, this is I'm quoting here, but it is your journey I'm writing about to wish you luck. There will come a day when you'll be thrust into another world, and once you arrive, that is only the beginning. You will soon delve even deeper into a realm of warring royalty in a timeless expanse. A realm of agents and exiles and consorts and colonel sprites, of toiling underlings and slumbering denizens. A realm where four will gather: the air of breath, the air of breath and seer of light, the night of time and witch of space. And together they will ascend. And like a bunch of all, all these nouns are underlined. Mm -hmm. This is just some real Final Fantasy ass Chronicles of Narnia looking stuff going on here. And there is nothing less interesting to me than cramming John Egbert into that framework. Mm-hmm. And I've read the whole act, so I know some of this is, is happening to me. Yes. <laughs> which is unfortunate. But I'm really hoping... I don't know... Well, uh, beyond my personal feelings... How was this received at the time? Do you do you have a sense of, of this? Did you... Did you, uh, you might not have written any notes... Uh, written any notes down about this specifically mm -hmm. but i'm c curious about how people are reacting to this like lorification mm -hmm. which is is hinted at in little bits and pieces but this is like a lore dump mm -hmm. this is like some wikipedia ass kind of stuff so i don't know you, you tell me yeah so there are two answers that i have here um 
One is that uh, people are eating this shit up. Like mm. the in the forum threads that I am reading, like th- there is a and I'm not saying that like everyone, of course, I'm sure there are some disaffected people that are maybe just not posting as much. But um, the people are extremely excited to find out more about the game like that is uh, I at this point, it seems like from what mm-hmm. I'm reading, a big draw for a lot of people is to figure out what this game is about, how it's going to work. Uh, and they are excited for this stuff. You have people already um and i'll talk actually more about um (laughs) uh uh, wikis and things in in the next episode uh but you already Mm -hmm. have people who are making like you know the the mspa fan wiki and uh like trying to work through uh who is the heir of breath who is the knight of time etc etc so we already have kind of that happening, like where the, the, the reader base is getting this lore dump and they're immediately trying to decompose it and figure out like what it is foreshadowing, what it's telling us about the future of this uh, game or, or this narrative. Uh, I would it, it's safe to say that, like, you know, people people like this. Mm-hmm. The other answer I have is that uh, Act Three is the act where I almost quit reading Homestuck. Hmm. Um, not specifically because I was like, oh man, look at this lore dump. Um, cause as we've established, you know, on our, like just King things, uh, Q and a episode, um, I hate fantasy. Was that where I said that? No, I said that in the gunslinger episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I think you've said it a few times. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. But yeah, yeah. You're not into it. Yeah. I, uh, you know, a- as kind of a, a general sort of orientation toward this stuff, um, I, I don't like it, uh, but here I wasn't like, oh, man, it's becoming a fantasy story. It was more like, uh, and this is something I'm sure we're going to talk about over this part and the next, but uh, the escalation of, um, shall we say, kind of like context in which the characters are acting, uh, Mm -hmm. I, I, I am rapidly losing interest at this point in reading Homestuck. Because um, the other thing, I guess, is is in addition to uh, hating fantasy, I also hate, you know, science fiction, um, all types of fiction, all types of nonfiction, uh, mm-hmm. any 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 sort of like, you know, uh, shadow show that that's being cast upon the cave wall. I'm I'm opposed to. Yeah. Any form of like uh, catachristic representation of the eternal mm-hmm. uh, in the material realm. You're just not into it. exactly. Um, yeah. But no, really. uh I have a low tolerance in general for stories that, uh, I mean, the J.J. Abrams style story of of the puzzle box. Um, and this has kind of always mm-hmm. been true for me. I mean, to, to, mm-hmm. when you I, and Brenda Laurel. Yeah, <laughs> me and Brenda Laurel are, are going to gang up on J.J. Abrams. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, <laughs> the dream team. <laughs> um. No, but a a good example of this is kind of like uh, when I was a teenager, I would not watch television series that had not ended or been canceled (laughs) because I and and like I I remember like Lost happening and me. I remember watching like the first episode of or the first like one or two episodes of Lost. And I had a couple of friends who got really into it kind of right off the bat. Right. It hooked them. Mm -hmm. And in the first episode, I was like, they are making this up like there is no end game here. 
and that is frustrating. Oh, oh okay, to me. okay, not not that you're mad that it's fiction, but yeah, but that it, that they're straight, just kind of stringing it along and go, going as they go. Yes, right. It's it's gotcha, sort of, gotcha. um, and so this was this is just, and this was kind of like just an orientation I had toward media where I felt like you know something like Lost. Um, where the the mysteries just kind of like we're constantly deepening. Um, I'm just like you're just making this up, and it's a waste of my time. I uh, I have the, it's really funny that you mentioned this because this is my current rule about fantasy novels. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't read any fantasy novel that is that has not completed the series or uh, is just like a one off. <laughs> um, I'm not I'm not reading anything to have to wait for. Mm-hmm. It's not happening. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to read the name of the wind. Yes. A- apparently at this point ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> yeah. No, like I I I I mean, you know, I eventually I break this rule and what happens is like, oh, I read Homestuck and uh, a Song of Ice and Fire. That's worked out great oh. for me. Oh. Uh, yeah, and I bet, uh, Twin Peaks season three coming back really got you. I bet you really felt bad about that. Yeah, I was like, when oh, they no. announced that, you were like, oh, shit. Literally, literally, Cameron, the only reason I watched Twin Peaks in high school was because it had ended. <laughs> I was like, okay, I'll watch this because it's ended and it had a, you know, a, 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 an ending on account of being canceled. But I was still like, this is done. <laughs> There's no more of this, uh, to, to bother me. Um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, and then in season three ended up being a very pleasant surprise for me in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but this is all to say act three is the act where I started feeling the puzzle box kind of coming to the fore. And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't think I care about this. Like, I think that this is just like sort of an, an, an escalation of kind of the questions that this story is asking. And I don't think it's prepared to answer them. And then eventually I, you know, obviously I stick with Homestuck and I continue to read it through to the very end. Um, but that's mm-hmm. because it becomes something different for me other than like, this is a story that I'm reading. It becomes a kind of thing that I am. It becomes a thing that I am watching. Right. I, be, I become invested in Homestuck, not so much for the story, but for like what eventually leads to us talking right now on this you know, podcast, which is like I start watching the way that this thing thing is interacting with its fan base and that becomes very interesting to me yeah and i think that's you know what what you're uh talking about here is is what i'm picking up you know here as well which is like the this is a lot of promise happening like even in these like four paragraphs there are a lot of things being promised that based on what i've read so far do not feel like they can be delivered on Mm mm-hmm um, you know, and I think that maybe this is it. Once you read enough like long form genre work, you start developing a pretty, <laughs> a pretty good like bullshit meter for this kind of thing and the way that it gets delivered in particular. And, um, you know, that my, my bullshit alarm is like really ringing on this one of like, I don't know if anyone's going to be able to, to pull all this together. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I don't know. But that certainly is something that I am feeling. And it also would make, you know, it makes for an interesting thing where, I imagine there are some people and probably quite a few people in the fan base where like this is the first time they encountered something like this. You know, I can imagine being, you know, we've talked about this already on this show a few times, but like if I were the right age for when Homestuck appeared, it, it would have been the first time I encountered certain storytelling maneuvers or certain um, kind of references or things like that. Um, uh, you know, certain devotion to Con Air. 
Mm-hmm. And I can imagine if this is the first time you see something like this, you'd be like, oh my God, the whole world, Nana's promising me the whole world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, and I don't think that's like the wrong emotion to feel. I think that's the intended emotion to feel. But it, it's uh, once that's happened to you a few times, I think you start to develop a, <laughs> a uh, some armor, some mental armor mm-hmm. for for this kind of promising. Um, but but yeah, I really felt that here at the top. I was like, oh no, uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that's uh, not to be too down, right? But that I think is it's indicative of this particular act uh, that the the rules of the game as we have understood them so far. And I don't just mean like the game in the fiction, but I mean the game as uh, what is happening as you're reading Homestuck serially, especially uh, the story that's been told over the previous two acts is slowly morphing into kind of something else. It mm-hmm. is sort of how I would describe it. And uh, you start feeling, I guess I would say like, In a previous episode, you talked about how all of the stuff outside of John's house was stuff that, you know, like Hussey has designed, Hussey has placed. uh, And this is sort of the same with like the rules of Spurb the game and all of this information we get about like the various game constructs and so on. Uh, All of this Mm -hmm. stuff is sort of set up by Hussey for the reader to react to. And readers are still giving uh, input commands at this point. Uh, But you start feeling, or at least I'm feeling on this kind of read through, the drift happening between readers inputting commands and Hussey putting information into the narrative that is in a way kind of like impervious to reader commands. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Would you have an example? I, I do get a vibe, but I can't think of a specific example. I think, uh, for instance, um, just uh, the, the way that... Everything in Jade's island, for example. So we let's you can talk about Jade. Uh, Jade mm-hmm. shows up. Um, she is in it, her introduction is very similar to the previous three kids, but also the patterns are being broken. So she's not in her room. She's in her garden because she, you know, grows a bunch of things uh, and she has a very different kind of like living situation and even orientation toward like the world than all of the other kids. Uh, and she knows more or like not necessarily consciously, but she, you know, we, we talked in uh, previous episodes. She has like the shining. She has these moments of like precognition or she has like, you know, sight at a distance or something. She, she knows things that she should not be able to know. Uh, and, you know, the reason for that is that she's being written that way. Like she is not a tabula rasa kind of in the way that John is, where John is kind of like, I'm just a dude and you're going to order me to go around and do things like uh, Jade has all of these sort of capabilities that are beyond the reader players input and control. Uh, So like, Mm -hmm. for instance, her narcolepsy. Right. Like Jade can just fall asleep and you don't get to control her anymore. Uh, But also sort of similarly, there's a bit in uh, when Rose is in the lab where the command is to like go to the center of the lab and do a silly dance. And Rose is just like, I'm not going to do that. 
like or rather the narrative says you know rose isn't going to do that because like it she's you know too creeped out or it feels too uh uh you know suspicious or whatever now this is not without precedent of course because previously when uh wv was in control of the narrative prompt and was like giving john commands wv was telling john to like run over a narrow bridge and john was refusing to do it and in fact uh you know all of that stuff with wv and john and john like sort of doing that that sims lock thing where wv tells him to go get a can opener but john can't walk to the kitchen because rose has blocked the hallway with a refrigerator and so his pathing breaks and he just stands there mm -hmm. uh so that 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 admit initially emerges as a kind of you know game logic kind of thing and here we see it becoming more about the narrative logic where it's not like, you know, Rose is not going to uh, refuse to do the silly dance because there's something going on with like, uh, in a way, right? Someone is trying to control her by typing into a terminal. But uh, mm -hmm. that person is not a character in the comic. And it's not sort of foregrounding uh, the gaminess and the path breaking. It's just like, no, Rose doesn't want to do that. And so similarly with Jade, like Jade has all of these qualities that make her less uh, accessible to the reader uh, player. Yeah, and it feels like the uh, the furtive vagrant, wandering vagrant, um, that feels to me, uh, I know you've talked a little bit about how much Hussey kind of had plotted out here um, and, and how much was kind of, I don't know, thought about. Uh, at that point, but what, what what's interesting to me is that the wandering vagrant feels like an experiment in some ways mm -hmm. of how how will the audience react um, if 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 we fully take away audience control for a very long time, mm -hmm. um, you know, because and that's what like thirty or forty panels. I mean, it's quite a lot. Yes, of 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 time where the audience is almost wholly being ignored at that point. And so it kind of feels like a dry run for what kind of shows up later, which is that audience commands become less and less and less important mm -hmm. until they are not important at all, uh, or at least indirectly important. Um, it is not commands that are, are moving the plot. It is a more generalized fan response, perhaps. But the uh but but so you know it, to me thinking about it thinking about homestuck in relation to like what is the gamey thing being played it slowly moves from a command based game to a general almost like vibe of, yeah. of response and a lot of these sections here with um jade feel that way too of the the pieces that are in place are such that user commands always would have taken us there. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. I think I'm even skipping to the next part of this episode. But um, the uh, grappling hook stuff mm -hmm. that there's basically a time loop that is is demonstrated mm -hmm. with a grappling hook, or or someone in the future uses a grappling hook that that the game as it is played produces. Uh, a wire and so it's like okay no matter what user commands appeared in between these two sections you have to get from point a to point d mm -hmm. and uh that's always going to reappear there so there becomes like in the plotting even of of this act 
Uh, there are certain things due to, and I don't think it's spoilers of any sort for the rest of it, but time matters a whole lot and movement in time and things being coherent together in time. And that just requires ignoring things that would move you away from that, mm-hmm. like in a fundamental way. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I think we're seeing a lot more uh, constraint on the part of Hussey um, in order to get the narrative to the big points it needs to get to. You know, in IF talk, in interactive fiction talk, the number of pinch points are radically uh, increasing. You know, the kind of pre predetermined places where the narrative has to go in order to get to its next branch points. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that... May, I, on one hand, it enables a lot of this kind of like lore building stuff that I don't know where I stand on. And I know that Homestuck is going to go to those places and I'm open to that. But I don't know if I find that as fun as the the first couple acts. Um, so on one hand, it, it enables that. Um, but on the other hand, it, um, uh, I don't know, allows for more interesting stuff to happen. Um, I, I kind of get why people think... Or I've gotten a vibe. I don't. I don't actually know if this is true or not. But it seems to me that John Egbert is not most people's favorite character, um, and it's because he is so much more generic and uninteresting <laughs> <laughs> than these other people. I totally get it. But uh, um, the uh, it, John being tabula rasa, as you're talking about, kind of being this blank slate who does whatever, that ends up creating the scenario in which he's very odd, but like organically odd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas, like, Jade appears fully odd, mm-hmm. you know, like, programmatically, like, random number generator odd. Um, and maybe this is the place to, to talk about uh, Jade Harley. Uh, so, uh, is Jade's fan named? Yes. Harley, huh? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Oh, why is that interesting? I don't know. It's just not a particular... I don't, I don't like it. Okay. I don't think I like the name. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't know if you like. <laughs> I just don't know why. I would never get there. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that's a name. I make I make up a lot of silly names in my life. You mm-hmm. know, you can listen to. Uh, I, there, there's there's a whole podcast dedicated to me making up silly names. <laughs> and I would never get to Jade Harley. Not like a single time in my whole life. Yeah. Uh, she. So she's, you know, fan named or rather, I guess, reader named. uh a good number of the characters are, I mean, all of the characters up to this point have been. Um, and then she, as I, if you're someone who's not reading along, you might be wondering what I mean when I talk about how she has like this kind of weird enchanted Island existence. Well, what I mean is that like in between panels, uh, the design on Jade's shirt will change. And the reason for this is because she has like a, far future science fiction wardrobe up in her room uh, called a wardrobe fire that can be set to random and it will just change the pattern on her shirt in the same way that, you know, uh, I think you can, I'm sure you can still do this now, but at the time it was fairly new on your computer. You could set it so that your desktop wallpaper changed randomly, like every so often. Mm-hmm. So like she has that. Uh, mm-hmm. she, when she opens her, her laptop is not like a normal laptop. It is, uh, compressed inside a lunchbox and it has like a holographic projector inside of it. So when she's using the internet, it's like, she's immersed in this like VRC and, uh, like her chat windows are like floating in the air in front of her and in, in that sort of thing. Just, uh, you know, whereas, uh, we started with 
uh, John as as something like a kind of genericized like realism, realism in kind of quotes there, because there's something so generic about John's existence that it doesn't even feel realistic, right? It's like an idea of an idea. Yeah, he's got he's got a CD rack. He's got a little PC sitting on a thing. He's got posters on his wall. He's got a bed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it it is the 1980s imagination of the suburban boyhood with a computer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and then we have Jade, which is just totally off the deep end. And in addition to that, uh, she's like a furry, like a, a sort of pseudo furry. Like she she loves furries, or she likes the idea of furries. Uh, you know, that's actually one of my favorite uh, early Jade panels is the one where because a read this is again, and I mentioned this way back in the first episode. You know, two thousand nine. Not a point at which like furries were highly regarded on the Internet. Uh, And so one of the reader commands is something like, you know, lose all interest in furries immediately. Um, And then the response to that is like, oh, but you could never do that. Then we get Jade waxing rhapsodic over like what it would be like to, to, you know, like combine the traits of human and animal and and all this stuff. Uh, And then it ends with the line, you eat a weird bug and you don't even care. (laughs) yes which is (laughs) yeah this is that is 797 i wrote that down um (laughs) oh because i was really curious about the art behind it right so there's like both like a a a sweet bro and hella jeff like furry joke kind of being being crammed in there uh and then there's like two other pieces of furry art and i would i would i was curious are those hussies furry art like is that made for this comic is that fan art that's being popped in here i i I was really curious about that yeah so uh i could not track down the specific origin of these images but in the commentary hussy mentions that they took some actual furry art and like traced over it because they thought it would be funny to take like this uh, it's kind of like this it's an anthropomorphic dog i think um maybe possibly a rabbit or something but i think it's kind of like a dog and it's kind of wearing a wizard's outfit or something and hussy mm-hmm. explains yeah. that they uh traced over it and they thought it would be funny if they took away like the dog snout features and gave it a human nose and mouth and so it looks very odd yep. oh yeah that'd be, that would be funny hussy yeah yeah funny yep so that's <laughs> how funny hysterical uh so that's where that comes absolutely. from absolutely gotcha okay yeah 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 it, yeah i really like um i i also like this kind of uh i don't know relationship that that jade has with furrydom because it, it's the same thing with dave right it's like this weird replication of dave where it's like um the relationship with like uh, uh sorry it's actually dave's bro's relationship with the puppets right it's like this um, I love it. But I I love it, but it's ironic. And then there's this slow kind of maneuver of being like, maybe Bro does not just ironically love these things, right? <laughs> and then it's also the thing that that happens with Dad, right? Where it's like, uh oh, John's dad is just a boring man who does not love, uh, you know, <laughs> clowns. The person who loves clowns is John. Yeah. <laughs> like your desires are not you are unknowable to even <laughs> you, right? Um, and for Jade, right, very similar kind of thing. I mean, there's this kind of like very innocent, um, you know, uh, stuff attached to the furrydom here, right? Where it's about like the freedom of being an animal and, you know, uh, uh, you know, it starts with what a daring dream (laughs) to combine the finest qualities of humanity with the elegance and nobility of the animal kingdom. And, you know, hard to get a sense whether that is like, um, 
an authorial voice that is poking fun at this or not, but it's certainly sincere to the character. Yes. And and then later you see Jade's computer desktop and there's like furry, like uh, it's a, a like a furry deviant art in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, not no one's talking about it, but it's in the background. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, Jade is spending a lot of time on the internet looking at furry websites and furry content. And so it, it's really interesting that that the decision here is in all of these cases that the character is not flat. The character is multidimensional and they have their own illusions about what they believe about the world. And part of what we see across act three is several of these characters being like, Oh no, <laughs> like what I thought was wrong. Mm-hmm. And I really think some other way, you know, that happens with Dave and that happens with John too. Um, and yeah, so I find that really interesting that, it, that it, that these are, are multidimensional characters pretty quickly. Um, and I can imagine too, also, if I'd never encountered, you know, if I were like a teen on the internet and I'd never read like, you know, a, a wide breadth of, of literature, if I'd only had to read the literature that I'd been assigned in school, that this, that discovering multidimensional characters who were responding to things that I could see in my real life on the internet and like having complicated feelings about that, that could be very affirming for someone. Mm-hmm. It's funny how we can approach it this way now, because definitely in the threads that I'm reading, like people are losing their minds that she is a furry and not in a good way. And of course, I'm sort of stacking the deck here because, as I've mentioned, the MSPA forums are like basically uh, uh, obliterated. So I can't really dig up what was happening there. Uh, But on Mm. the something awful thread, like something awful kind of ground zero for making the furries kind of a a a group that you're supposed to hate online uh people are like oh my god like what a weirdo blah 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 and then Mm -hmm. we see kind of the turnaround which is like oh this is just ironic right we we see so you just (laughs) talked about how uh you know that that uh that illusion uh, or uh, the ways that these characters may not relate to their own fantasies or desires directly uh, is already in the comic. But then we see kind of this at least section of the reader base, like using the irony out token to be like, oh, this is just this is just a joke. It's never going to mean anything. I don't have to really care about this aspect of the character because uh, it's just it's just something silly. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just hussy making fun of this and not a sincere part of the character exactly exactly they're david everyone's turning into a dave yeah <laughs> it keeps happening <laughs> um what did you think of uh the well i mean the other thing that jade does is she goes to mspaintadventures.com to see you know what the latest adventure is like what what do you think of the the ms paint adventure that's happening inside of the ms paint adventure uh do you have a page number i didn't write the page number on, down on this but uh uh i think it's 832 832 yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I just want I wanted to see the actual image again because it's very good. It's like the so it's it's a, a, a representation of John Egbert with a toilet with a bunch of shit in it and like some like rocks and stuff and then like the gray goo ghost, a <laughs> uh, little pogo toy and then some um some like modus fetch modus cards and they're all just like crapped out on the ground and he's wearing like a wizard's hat <laughs> um i didn't know what to do with it i thought it was a really funny visual gag of like of course within the world of homestuck 
Hussy is making a shittier version of Homestuck. Well, basically. Well, and that's this is the funny thing is that it's not. Uh, <laughs> this is the intermission to the actual adventure that is running, which is the next page because it takes us back to the Midnight yes. Crew. <laughs> yes, like yes. Act. So yeah, we <laughs> Act One Thousand Thirty One of the Midnight Crew. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we get the Midnight Crew. We get an extreme. Is this the a really elaborate animation for the Midnight Crew where it introduces them all again? Mm-hmm. And also uh, their arch enemies, yeah. the pool ball themed uh, gang, <laughs> the Felt. Yeah. Uh, I just thought this is a lot of effort to go through <laughs> for for this gag. Yeah. Uh, this was a Halloween update, um, which is part of the uh, joke. Okay. It's why it's Act One Thousand Thirty One, right? Ten Thirty One. So this was posted on Halloween of Two Thousand Nine. I don't know what to do with uh, MS Paint Adventures existing within uh, the Homestuck universe. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it could matter. The 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 uh, Midnight Crew look awful lot like imps. I will say that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that matters. Maybe one of these looks exactly like a dude we're gonna see later. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. So yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. It was delightful to see them show up, and, you know, it's really interesting because we keep getting a little bit of chatter. I keep seeing a little bit of chatter about, you know, uh, whether we have read Problem Sleuth and or whether I have read Problem Sleuth or, like, there will be things that I just won't get or, you know, that are hard to kind of get your hands around in Homestuck. And that might be true, but that also, I think, maybe is overstated a little bit. Literally just saying this is a pre-existing property is enough and I, to be honest with you this would be just as readable or would make just as much sense if i had no idea about problem sleuth at all um i i i think it is less load bearing than people want it to be at least at the point where we have read so far yeah i i mean you know the one of the things that i do is just occasionally i point out that like oh you know that's a callback to problem sleuth and much of the time i don't feel like that that uh, augments your appreciation of what we're reading that much no, I'm going to be honest. I, because I don't know it beforehand. Like you, I don't think you've told me anything outside the the recording of the show that something is a reference to Problem Sleuth. And I don't think at this point it's had any bearing on my reading it, you know, of it before we record. So, um, you know, I, I think that's something that's interesting kind of in the fandom or in the people who care about Homestuck that Problem Sleuth uh, really hangs heavy over, you know, the way people discuss uh, Homestuck. And it kind of gets turned into this, like, oh, well, if you really want to know what's going on, you got to read Problem Sleuth. And I just think that might be overstated. I, I think that that is maybe an interesting developer assumption in the fandom that might not necessarily be as important as as uh, gets repeated. Mm -hmm. Maybe it is. Maybe we've gotten to a point where, uh, you know, all of the, um, the keys will be revealed uh, and I will be wrong. Mm -hmm. And I will uh, say nothing about it. I will pretend as if that didn't happen. Well. We will we will find out. But yeah, it's it's a thing that I wonder about, too, if only because I, I think there's something to the idea that reading Problem Sleuth beforehand, like, can deepen your appreciation of certain elements of Homestuck. But I think it's it's something that you've called in a previous episode, like a game within a game, which is to say there there is a game here of like spotting uh, the old works like sort of references the easter eggs and not just a problem sleuth but to like 
you know, bizarre old comics, uh, really offensive old comics, even that like Hussey has done all of this kind of extraneous work just kind of gets sifted back in here. Uh, mm-hmm. And obviously, Problem Sleuth is much more important to the overall DNA of Homestuck than most of that other stuff. Um, but at the same time, it's unless you are doing a kind of like deep holistic analysis of like this author's body of work, um, I'm not sure that a lot of this stuff is is really necessary to enjoy Homestuck a- as a thing. Um, mm-hmm. So. That's so if you haven't read it, don't feel bad. Mm-hmm. Although, if you want to read it, please do. It's it's a lot lighter than Homestuck, uh, and you know it's got some got some good gags in there. I like I like a lot of Problem Sleuth. Uh, uh, well, speaking of good gags, there's two things I want to talk about really quickly, just from the very beginning of this thing, uh, because they're both kind of um, different forms of new interactions. Um, one is this big fucking cursor that shows up. Mm-hmm. On 764 at the very beginning, there's a mouse cursor just clicking around. Yeah. That's like representing us as a reader. Yeah. Uh, we saw that one more, one one other time in John's room where uh, someone like told him to get into one of his trunks and there was a cake on top of it. And it was like out of perceive or out of uh, sympathy for John's perceived lack of arms. You use the cursor to move the cake or something. Oh, interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. So when characters can't do something, this cursor can show up and do something. That's quite interesting to me. And then uh, when Jade plays the flute, like right after this, mm-hmm. uh, that's not quite novel. I think we could, uh, cause we've had some, um, doing stuff you know we've had some walking around and whatnot that's happened um and i think we've had another section where we could bang on the keyboard specifically mm-hmm. um but uh but yeah this is like you know it's is uh like i said 769 and you can like play music mm-hmm. by like beeping on the thing yeah and i'm like, doing it right now yeah in the uh in the you know, thread, uh, people are sort of talking about like, how do you, how do you figure out which notes are which? So you can actually play a song rather than just make a bunch of, you know, nonsense. Uh, it's a fun little tool, fun little game. Mm hmm. And if you hit Z, she goes to sleep. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Which is quite good. But you know, something that, that also came into focus to me here is, um, that the comedy of this bit, it, it, really, really great kind of like games programming kind of thing, right? Because there's no tweening of the the animations or anything like that. Meaning that when you hit a button, a new note begins to play and a new animation begins to play. And the animations have different origin points. And so, like, what ends up happening is that Jade's, like, flipping around and, like, teleporting and, like, rolling and all kinds of stuff. And um, the animations happen immediately. And what it evokes for me is the animation of Terrence and Philip from South Park. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, there, there is a very similar kind of like the comedy comes from the like the um, insufficiency of the animation, mm-hmm. um, and and so like all these sections. There's a few sections in in Act Three where you can like use the keyboard, and the, I just kept thinking about Terrence and Philip, and like that the that something of the um, uniqueness of the thing is that it doesn't work quite right, but the not working quite right is um, like visually consistent. And so then it's like good or like followable or whatever. And it doesn't look like any of the other like very artful animations that show up in this. Um, So there's something going on there for me too about the interaction style creates a different aesthetic for the animation that then sets what what you're doing with a keyboard as different from like what 
you know, Hussey is doing in these like long form animation segments that like beautifully transition and zoom in and zoom out and do all this kinds of stuff. Um, there's an interactive animation that is uh, a different, you know, aesthetic regime. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, a whole different other way of looking at the world that I, that I found quite interesting here at the at the top of Jade. But other than that, I think uh, I think that's all I have to say about the first twenty pages. <laughs> at forty five minutes in, <laughs> I mean, it's fine. This is this is in some ways, you know, more of a, a breezy chunk that we're working through. Uh, yeah. I've mentioned before, I think, in, in the previous episode that, uh, you know, one of the things that is really happening with the fandom or the, the readership, I, I guess I should say, because uh, it's it's kind of fandom is maybe not the best word. You know, there's definitely a fandom for this, but there's also like a, a reader base that I would say is larger than than sort of a diehard fandom. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that is happening uh that i already mentioned is that people are like noticing the patterns that hussy has sort of built into the narrative so like we introduce a kid uh we learn about them through their room they walk around their house they have some sort of weird tense relationship with their guardian uh they play an instrument um which this is just you know fun trivia uh hussy mentions in the commentary that uh, originally all of the kids playing an instrument was going to be something much more important than it ended up being uh like it was going to be like a pr- plot critical thing that all of the kids would have to play like their instruments at various points um but that's just a, a thing that ends up falling uh to the side uh so uh, we nevertheless get this as kind of a characterization of these kids and then it also establishes kind of some musical themes for them but mm-hmm. we get that and then they have, uh, you know, their confrontation with their guardian, their their strife animation. And so people get excited for like, oh, we've met the new kid. Uh, you know, I can't wait until they play their instrument or more often than not. It's I can't wait until we get the strife animation with their guardian. Uh, like people people were like chomping at the bit for Dave's strife animation because they really wanted to see that Dave bro showdown. And then I think it's extremely funny that (laughs) it's extremely long. It's like in three or four parts and it's just bro beating the hell out of Dave like every single time. Yeah, Dave really gets it. Yeah. It's like not 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 good for him. He's just well, it's not even just bro, it's bro and and uh what Chet? What Cal. is that? What? Cal. <laughs> Chet. <laughs> Little Chet. Oh, I got my weird appropriative uh creatures mixed up. <laughs> wait, what's uh, the wait, what's the weird appropriative Chet? Are you talking about Chet, oh, Chet Hanks? Hanks yes. of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah you know yeah uh but uh oh but yeah like <laughs> uh, yeah you don't think chet hanks is kind of like a real world cow i mean like a little bit yeah i mean he did play the volleyball in castaway a little known fact <laughs> little known fact child chet hanks but uh <laughs> yeah yeah i do i i think the whole dave bro animation is very funny it's unclear why bro was beating him up yeah and this is um this like you know put a pin in that thought think about that Mm. uh because Mm -hmm. no one's asking that question now no one no no one's like why is this uh why is this like a older brother whipping the shit out of this 13 year old constantly yeah no no one's thinking about with a sword and stuff and and no one's like Mm. 
no one's, for instance, uh, looking at the extremely strange subtext of uh, in the prior act, right? Dave walking around uh, the apartment, which is littered with like puppet snuff films. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there, there's something happening here where uh, these characters are being approached as as comedy artifacts, sort of first and foremost, I think. Uh, and so there is a lot of like subtext here that is just not being talked about or sort of not being observed. Um, or if it is being observed, it's like, oh, man, bro's actually a huge pervert and Dave just doesn't realize it. Ha ha ha. So, yeah, that, that's an interesting thing to sort of keep in mind for, for later uh, in terms of where this stuff goes. Um, yeah. But also then we have uh, Jade's strife, which breaks the pattern even more uh, because it turns out her grandfather is dead and taxidermied. And and just that's a thing that we have to yeah. deal with or like, I don't know, that's a piece of information that we get and it is literally inexplicable. Yep. <laughs> There's a little bit of like uh, Beetlejuice in Jade's story. How so? Well, because she's like, uh, I forget that. Who's that? Is it Winona Ryder? Mm-hmm. Who's in that? In Beetlejuice, yeah. Is that, yeah, the, the, I, for whatever reason, I had a hard time with that, thinking of that. But it's kind of like, you know, why uh, the, this kid is like caught up in a like weird world of all kinds of interactive stuff and, uh, uh, you know, of, of things being supernatural, quite literally, right? Like, and, and plus chat rooms. Mm-hmm. Imagine Beetlejuice with chat rooms, the mind real. <laughs> but, uh, but, but that's, that's happening. And the authority figures who exist there, you know, in Beetlejuice, they they might as well not exist, right? I mean, they're there as a kind of like, um, foil for Beetlejuice to get, you know, Beetlejuice and the uh, um, the dead people, the Maitlands, <laughs> yeah, uh, for them to like uh, do their thing, you know, they're an excuse for them to do ghost shit, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, remove them from their house or whatever. But they are just a narrative inconvenience to like be overcome. They're just like a wall to bounce the tennis ball of the plot off of. Uh, and the same thing is kind of happening here with Jade, where it's like the supernatural stuff matters, but the like her relationship to her grandfather is purely symbolic. Like he literally is not even alive, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but, but he like sets the boundaries or parameters for all the things she's going to do. And I guess the Beck, Beckwomel or whatever, uh, uh, whatever it's, yeah, Beckwomel sauce. Um, I guess it also becomes kind of an authority figure to prevent her from doing certain things. But but there's this kind of like enchanted existence within parameters that are really a plot contrivance more than anything else that really reminds me of Beetlejuice here. Mm-hmm. And then this kind of like trickster figure who's like getting you to, to be bad and like <laughs> transcend all of that. And that's us. Yes. <laughs> like that's the reader of, of Homestuck or, you know, the reader of the Jade sections. We're the Beetlejuice in this scenario, the kind of... Um, figure who's making you do all kinds of things that are uh, you're not supposed to against the the formal boundaries of the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, like the thing that is sort of striking to me is this uh, bizarre implication that Jade has essentially like raised herself, right? Yeah, like she yeah. she's just alone, like she's a 13 year old girl alone on an island and is extremely non-traumatized by that well is she that's a great question too she's a pretty odd person Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
she i mean let's say let's say she's coping <laughs> she's yeah. got some coping yeah, strategies she, she appears to be rational mm-hmm. uh but rationality is only determined by the parameters you set around it you know <laughs> like uh so you know like all of her interactions with this this dog where she's like shooting it in the face <laughs> over and over again as the primary mode of interaction that's a little odd yeah um, but, uh, but yeah, you and the implication here also is that Jade has stuffed her own grandfather. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is definitely the implication that she like, pre- like there's no one else here. So she seems to be the most likely candidate for having prepared this corpse. Uh, and also like just the, the other sort of unanswerable question, which is like, why, I mean, there, there's sort of a, a, a broader context, which is, of course, that the house is filled with these these things, right? Her grandfather was a big game hunter industrialist uh, who clearly had access to all of this, like, weird, wacky technology. Um, and so the house is filled with, you know, whereas all of the other guardians kind of had their one bizarre thing that they were fixated on, like, well, you know, dad technically had two. He had his Harlequins and his baking, but, uh, you know, mom has her wizards and bro has his puppets. Uh, with grandpa, it's, uh, first of all, like, you know, uh, stuffed and mounted big game. That's thing number one. Uh, the second thing is suits of armor. The third thing is mummies. And then the fourth thing, yeah. which I love, uh, is sun bleached photos of women that have been hanging too long in the windows of hair salons. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, it's some odd stuff. I mean, it almost feels like at this point that it's like, what are the oddest things mm-hmm. that could appear here? You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, for, I, on one hand, I find these like really funny. On the other hand, they are like almost unbearable because <laughs> they're just like one step too far for me. Um, in in what sense? I the the i the idea of like someone being obsessed with one thing uh, makes sense to me, but the idea of someone being obsessed with weird shit as their character trait, just in a general sense, is not interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a little bit like. Her grandpa is like one third Winchester house, mm-hmm. one third the uh, Oscar Isaac from Ex Machina, <laughs> <laughs> and then like one third the guy who did made the house on the rock, like oh, yeah. you know, this, like collector mania kind of thing. I don't know what the correct you know terminology for that is, right? But where the mania itself is collecting mm-hmm. and, and gathering and, and collection generation. Mm-hmm. Um, the, and so like, it's just a lot going on for one person's life and the complication of Jade, it it builds to such a point where I'm like, okay, all right, I'm ready to talk about the next thing. (laughs) Like I'm ready to be a little less, um, you know, uh, in this like primordial soup of like all the weirdest shit we can cram into one character. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I, yeah, I think that just maybe one step too far for me as far as what I'm interested in. Yeah, well, so I think that's totally fair. The other way of looking at this, uh, and this is something that Hussey talks about in the commentary, because this is a thing that fans have figured out, like, oh, when these kids join the game, they have a kernel sprite and you have to prototype that thing. What's going to go into the kernel sprite? 
And so uh, one of the moves that Hussey is making here is like filling the house with so much crap that there is just, you know, th there are limitless possibilities in terms of like what might end up in the Colonel Sprite and what might thereby affect whatever's going on in, in the Spurb session. Uh, that's not to say that like it isn't too much, but like, you know, you can see. I guess uh, this this goes back to one of those tensions between uh, serial and archival reading, because the other thing that I guess I sort of the, the realization that I had reading for these chunks was that to go back to Lost, you know, Lost was a show that you watched, uh, you know, it aired once a week and then you talked about it obsessively over the next week. Or not necessarily obsessively, mm -hmm. but if you were super in, if you would go to work and you would talk to your coworkers who watched Lost and you would sort of, you know, uh, compare notes or whatever. And if you were super into it, you would be on the forums, on the fan pages, uh, you know, digging over all of the the little like hints that might have been in the background of certain shots and, and so on and so forth. Uh, what if that happened every day? That's what this comic yeah. is at this yeah. point. <laughs> Like the the readers are so it, this is updating, you know, let's say five to six pages a day, something in that neighborhood. And at the end of every chunk, everyone is just pulling each panel apart, trying to speculate about what is going to happen literally tomorrow. Uh, mm -hmm. So it takes that that sort of fandom dynamic and it makes it uh happen like it, it it time lapses it in some ways right it, it puts it into mm -hmm. overdrive and so you have people who are just like oh my gosh what's jade going to prototype when she enters the game never mind the fact that like rose hasn't even entered the game yet like that's that is like what we're trying to do in a broad sense is get rose into the game so she doesn't die like that's kind of one of the driving plot things right now uh but people are already thinking like okay what's jade going to do next uh and of course, like the the thing to sort of consider then is that Jade is twisting or breaking so many of the patterns that have been established. Uh, in some ways, you know, uh, I don't think you can speculate about it, or rather, I think you can, especially if you're reading this archivally, like we are. Um, you can probably have some good ideas about how this is going to develop, um, but like that moment to moment speculation becomes both like, you know, the reason to read this comic for some people, but also sort of increasingly impossible to do because there is so yeah. much stuff happening constantly. Yeah, you can get a sense of that, and that makes a lot of sense, but you can really get a good sense of that when uh, Jade's room is introduced and it's too big for one screen. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, you can get a sense that... that the the additional thing I think to to think about with what you just said is that it seems like at some points Hussey is trying to buy time mm -hmm. um, and making user input panels that are low effort, um, you know, of like touch this thing or get near this thing or like interact with this thing and it's three lines of text or five lines of text and like just moving a character around and not having to do too much in depth uh, stuff. That seems to be a really good way to get four or five panels out of the what you have while obviously doing something else, building something else in the background. Um, uh, I, I get a sense that some of the things, I don't know if this is true or not, but the way that the rhythm of the comic works is it feels like certain things that are coming up in the... Um, that are maybe not as user interactable. So, for example, all, all of the stuff that's happening with, like, the future mm -hmm. crew, 
Um, it feels like some of that stuff it can be worked on independently of what users are doing. Um, and so I, I don't know. I just get the sense that like when you know what I think I've previously described is like wheel spinning is happening, um, especially with the the big interactable space of Jade's room or Jade's whole house, which is in some ways just like the expansion of a room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it it has the kind of density of objects in it that you could that exist in these rooms. Um, it feels like a lot of that is a way to buy time for other stuff. And I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, if I were trying to figure out a way to keep the the plot moving in a way that made people feel engaged, but also make sure that I had time to work on like a four-minute flash animation, mm-hmm. this is the kind of thing that I would absolutely do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not really sure uh, how like panel updates and flash updates were being interleaved at this point, uh, if only because... When Hussey was giving updates about like, well, I'm working on a flash animation now, uh, and we're getting to the point where this would happen, uh, updates for panels would stop for a few days. Uh, and, mm. and Hussey would sort of like put up notice like, you know, for the next, no, 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 four days, no updates because I'm working on a flash or something along those lines. Uh, that doesn't mean, of course, that there's not like planning and, and forethought like that, that I'm not going I don't think necessarily that Hussey like posts those the second that they've decided they're going to do a flash animation. I imagine there is some groundwork being laid prior to that, some runways being built. Um, but yeah, I, I, I totally see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. It just feels like, uh, I mean, maybe it seems so improbable to me that, that the, that the only thing that Hussey is ever working on here is the next image in line. Mm-hmm. That that seems deeply improbable, but it could be. Like I, that could be the way that this was made, and and that seems to be the way it's presented is that, that was happening. Mm-hmm. But like I've made a lot of stuff in my day, and um, you know, there's a little bit of like kayfabe in the entirety of the Homestuck thing, right? Of like, you know, we've already talked about Hussey as the character, and Hussey is a very particular kind of like representation of a person. And uh, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Eh, maybe I'm maybe I'm completely off base. Maybe I'm completely wrong. But uh, I don't know. Uh, what about Dave showing back up here? Uh, you mean in talking with Jade, or like you? Mean, yeah. yeah. Aside from <laughs> getting his ass <laughs> handed up. to him. Uh, yeah. What do you think about this? Take a guess. Well, <laughs> this is so disappointing to me because. Um, you know, Dave says some unsavory words that I don't think we would say in the year 2021, but we're very used in the year 2009. Uh, but right before he says those words, uh, he says something that is maybe my favorite thing that Dave says in the whole thing, where he says, it's so cool getting hella chumped up by your coquettish damn riddles all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, hella chumped up is very funny to me yes <laughs> that's extremely good coquettish damn riddles because she's like constantly referring to things that haven't happened yet mm-hmm. with you know like smileys or whatever this is also really great because jade is not online because they're not in the same time zone and uh dave is just dumping a huge amount of like just like free association thoughts that he's putting in here this is very much the kind of thing that would happen on like aim mm-hmm. or anything like that um so this is very much an artifact of, of a moment um i guess this still must happen you know on discord dms or whatever but um you know this felt like an artifact of like you're getting to watch someone going through their whole evening of thinking in in um um 
real time. It also, uh, you know, he makes a lot of jokes about furries and like, mm-hmm. there's a little bit of an ironic reference to him being a furry. Who knows where that goes? Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, that's what I think about it. Yeah, it's, I, I think you're right. There is, there's something about the way that this uh, lands historically versus now, because, you know, if, if in your discord DMs or whatever, you could do this. But the thing that has changed is that, uh, generally speaking the person you're talking to you may know that they have a phone and they could pull that phone out of their pocket and see like oh i've got some notifications and then they would read something whereas this Mm -hmm. this is still i mean this is 2009 so smartphones exist but they're not as widespread i mean it's 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 telling that john is using his dad's pda rather than like in yeah. the fact that this is another thing that actually I, I forgot to mention previously, the fact that Dave has an iPhone like marks him in a way in 2009 that it does not mark him now because 2009 having an iPhone was still very much a kind of like, Ooh, cool, sleek status symbol. And I'm not saying that there isn't necessarily like some brand identities still going on. Um, but we've all kind of become cynical and inured to them uh, in, in uh, well, the present moment. Yeah. And there was also a vibe at the beginning of the iPhone in particular of like, why would you need that? Uh-huh. Of like, why would any normal human being need like the ability to access the Internet at all times? Mm-hmm. Like, why? <laughs> like, And that's a that's a real vibe. I. Uh, someone the other oh I was listening to um, the Mega 64 podcast uh, you know speaking of things from 15 years ago <laughs> uh, uh, but I was listening to it at some point recently I was like working and just had it on and um, uh, uh, Rocco uh, Bodie was talking about how he got an iPhone right when they came out and there was a lot of that like he would walk around and people would see him using it and be like what are you doing you're checking email mm-hmm. who would need to check email mm-hmm. Like, I guess maybe if you're a business person, you're a regular human being. And that was very much the vibe um, uh, at the time. And so there's a little bit of like, not just, not both a status symbol, like you're saying, and also like, what would necessitate you having to have an iPhone um, in a broad Mm -hmm. sense? You, a 13-year-old child. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think that would like raise a bunch of eyebrows. Like for a reader at the time. Yes. Uh, so this is this. These are interesting aspects of Dave's character, and um, the I mean, we we've seen Dave do this before, specifically with John, uh, because John was too busy running around trying to not be killed by a meteor. And this is uh, we didn't talk about this one, but this is the, there's a a chat log where Dave is trying to talk to John, and he uh, talks about like, yes, sir, we're under assault from the planet motherfucking Jupiter or whatever. Uh, he's talking about like the mm-hmm. the asteroid uh, disaster film genre. Uh, so Dave likes to t- not not necessarily likes to talk, but Dave is capable of talking to no one in particular for a lot of time. Uh, the other thing, I guess, to to observe about this uh, Dave. Well, I was going to say Dave and Jade, but again, Jade's not really here. Jade's asleep or something. Yeah, this monologue. Yeah, Dave's Dave's monologue here. Uh People are picking up the hints that there's romantic tension between these characters. Uh, Because of, you know, Dave has already, you know, called her coquettish or whatever. And this is interesting because, um, you know, the, the something awful threat, for example, 
very much opposed to this kind of thing. And in, in on principle, right? Who gives a crap about characters and relationships and and, and that sort of thing? Um, and that's, you know, t- to some extent, a kind of vulgar vulgarization. Uh, but this kind of thing where it's like, oh, man, I hope these characters have some sort of, uh, you know, a, a romantic fulfillment earlier or later on. Uh, mm-hmm. that is a different type of fan discourse that is it's something that like the something awful crowd is going to hold at arm's length uh, and it's something that's more associated with say like something that's really big right now uh, and right now I mean 2009 Twilight fandom Harry Potter oh yeah uh, Avatar yeah. The Last Airbender uh Shows that have these kind of, uh, you know, young adolescent like burgeoning romantic relationships, not really necessarily at their center, uh, aside from, you know, Twilight, which is just all about that. Uh, but, you know, th- there's a, a a way that these types of fiction are telling stories about young people coming of age. And part of what coming of age means is like learning about romance and learning about expressing Mm -hmm. those feelings. And there's a a lot of people who, you know, want to sort of, rather than being like, oh man, what's the next Strife animation going to be like? It's like, oh, how is the relationship between Jade and Dave going to develop? Uh, Maybe we Mm -hmm. can write some fan fiction about this, let's say. Uh, So there's, there's a something else that is kind of starting to come up in like the Homestuck reader base. And I'm, I try not to spoil things for you, Cameron, but this is going to become so goddamn important. Yeah, I imagine so. I, 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 uh, you know, if Homestuck keeps going for the next like five, six years, you know, after this, you know, the point of 2009 that we're reading, I mean, that becomes the primary one of the, the, the question of, of who will get with whom, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, becomes the primary motivator of a fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, a thing you didn't mention, in that kind of list that you just did, but which is hugely important to this too, is the hunger games. Um, you know, the hunger games is just as close to, I would say it's right behind twilight as far as like, um, things that I inner that were just regular human beings in the world that I saw who are not, you know, in quote unquote fandoms as we would think of them, where I would hear them talking about the relationships that are in the book. Um, even more so than Harry Potter, which I think uh, people, for the most part, that that was such an all-encompassing kind of fandom that was not just about romance, but about like a thousand different things. Mm-hmm. And especially during this time where the movies were coming out, um, you know, I, I think it had a little bit more of a robust as far as like what the the broader interests of the fandom were. You mm-hmm. know, there were for whatever corner of the universe you could occupy in Harry Potter as far as what you care about in it, there were people who were talking about that. And so it, it looks, I think it's fandom at that time to me as someone who was not involved in it looked a lot more like the Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. in, in the sense of like for any weird shit you could care about in Harry Potter, there was someone who that was the thing they only cared about, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the way that that is Lord of the Rings fandom. <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, but for like uh, Twilight, as you're saying, um, uh, the Hunger Games, those kinds of things. It was it was really primarily human relationships or human non-human relationships, I guess, mm-hmm. depending on what you think a wolf man is. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I guess I didn't really read this as like a uh, like romantic or like flirty relationship of any sort here. Although 
when you say that, obviously it is because they're like he's sending music. He's sending mm-hmm. her original music at the end, and like yeah, yeah. And I'm thinking about 2009. You're 13 years old. Yeah, of course. Yes, exactly. Um, right. Like you're asleep, but I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, you know hit you up on AIM, see if you're around, send you my latest remix, hope you like it. Yeah. Oh, man, hope you don't think I'm too invested in any of this. I'm going to, like, blather some nonsense for a while to show just how, like, cool and disaffected I am. Well, and it also looks like, if you look, now that you've said that, I'm looking at the Fresh Jams music player, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which a really great kind of (laughs) Winamp-esque music player here, Uh, but... uh, is Dave's icon the little um, like nuclear thing? No, Dave's icon is a record. Oh, okay, it's the little record. I, I just wasn't sure because obviously I know like Jade and uh, John here, but I didn't know if uh, I didn't know which was which. So mm-hmm. okay, that's interesting. So it's like uh, just some songs from Dave here at the end. This seems to be a relatively new development. If it's not just for the whole friend group at the top. Hmm. Mm, there's a lot, you know, visual rhetoric, y'all. <laughs> there's a lot going on here. Who's the little, uh, uh, what you call it then? Little nuclear That's thing. Jade. Is that Jade? Oh. Hmm. So Jade doesn't get one symbol. She gets many. That's the other way she breaks Got the it. pattern. Yeah. Uh, oh. <laughs> That's really funny. If you're listening to these Jade songs, they've got bass lines. In yes, them. because she plays bass. She <laughs> <laughs> plays the bass. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's that's good stuff. I didn't, uh, you know, uh, Homestar Rewards rereading, I will say. Yeah. <laughs> and looking back at these two times. Um, I don't know, other stuff. I mean, we, we haven't really talked any, we haven't said anything about, uh, like, Rose in the Lab, really. Um, that's because it's mm-hmm. it's not thin, but it little happens. There's a lot of uh, her running around, like finding this giant like power grid that looks like a chessboard. Hmm. Uh, the place is called Skynet, which is is further kind of this uh, escalation of there are things baked into this world that are beyond the the reader player's control. In the sense that, oh, okay, so this lab is somehow related to the game. Uh, and it was always maybe always going to be related to the game. Uh, but, you know, rather than being kind of like some new branching path where like Rose goes into the lab and she, you know, forks off on some other adventure. No, it just like funnels her right back into this specific narrative uh, or, you know, gives her a, a new perspective on events. Um, yeah. Do you, do you have any thoughts on the lab? No, I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like the lab. Uh, it feels way too contrived to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. It, I. I. I don't. I. Yeah. I don't really like, have a very good like reason for why it feels contrived. But there's something odd going on where it's like trying to jam some plot development in here, but then also allowing just enough reader command to like make it interesting. So this, this is something that should feel like it's progressing pretty quickly because it's a dire circumstance. And yet it ends up in the middle going really slowly because like Jade's getting to choose or not Jade, sorry, but Rose is getting to choose or the, the player is getting to choose one way or the other, like what's happening here. But really we know what needs to happen. It's very clear what needs to occur here. Um, and so it, it, you can really, I really felt like in this whole segment, all of basically all of Rose's stuff in this act, that's really where the tension between 
the MS Paint adventure style, and then what Homestuck is doing is a broader narrative where they really started to pull against each other for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I mean, at this point, I'm really feeling it, and you know, I, from what you've said, you know, I don't think it's a spoilers in any kind of way. Uh, the reader commands start becoming less and less important and maybe disappearing altogether in, in, a, in a serious sense after Act 3. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's necessary. I mean, I think you're really feeling the the tension between um, the the goof aroundiness of player commands versus the movement of a real plot and story that has to happen in order to keep any interest in this thing going. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I really felt that with the Rose sections. I agree. The the rose sections were kind of where I was feeling like, all right, there's this thing happening here where the readers are still kind of getting to to futz around with things. Uh, but clearly Rose is here so we can get some exposition about like, okay, there's this lab. This lab is somehow aware of the game or hooked into the game. It's tracking all of these meteors. So you know, that raises a question. How is this working? How does how does, uh, you know, this thing on the ground fit into this seemingly cosmic game that just started earlier this morning? Uh, it also lets us know mm-hmm. that Dave lives in Texas, by the way, uh, because we see his uh, house marked mm-hmm. on the map. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get the the weird stuff with the cat, like with Jaspers, who we, whom we've talked about before. Jaspers has come up before. Uh, but then, like, we have all of the, the cloning station stuff and, like, looking at Jasper's yes. in the past. Uh, I do, I will say, immensely adorable to see little baby Rose giving, uh, <laughs> like, her, her cat a, a, a therapeutic session, right? She has uh, Jasper's in his little suit on her psychoanalyst's couch. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then this this sort of out of nowhere revelation mystery, and it's not exactly out of nowhere because I've um, I think skipped over some of this stuff in in our summaries. Uh, but like Jasper told her a secret, because uh, somehow because he's a cat. Don't worry, this is actually going to somehow resolve. But like mm-hmm. if 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 you have no way of knowing like what's going to happen in this story, it's just like, and this is you know one of the reasons why this act really troubles me. Uh, or troubled me as it was live because I'm just like, all right, cats can tell secrets now. Okay. Like, <laughs> whatever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so like, what the heck is up with that? And this is also, you know, interesting. It's some of the most sort of like subtle characterization that is happening in this act specifically is happening with Rose. And I really like it uh, because we've gotten a flashback um, earlier where Rose and Jade are talking and uh jade is talk jade tells rose like you know what would you say if i told you that in like that we're going to be able to play a game and you're going to be able to see your cat again and rose is like well um i would kind of doubt that i would have a lot of questions you know she's sort of skeptical but she clearly likes the idea of being able to see her cat again and so that recasts uh what we first see of rose when she's just tt uh where she's kind of like uh, really needling John to start the game so they can play the game because she knows she's been told by Jade that this is the game or she she suspects that this is the game that is going to help her see her cat again. And so uh, we have that. Uh, and, you know, she is also kind of ignoring like all of this. There's like the, the weird little like girly bedroom set in the lab. And, and like the tea set that she just totally ignores. And in fact, it's like a, a reader command to like ignore the absurd tea set. And it's like you, ab- you ignore it perfectly. 
Yeah, I am. Uh, I, so I'm scrolling back and forth through the rose section here. I need to uh, revise what I said a moment ago, um, because what what is wild to me is that, like in my notes and what I what I wrote while reading it, is that I really don't like all the like uh, you know the tension between these two things. But uh, looking at it again, it is not a tension between the fan you know, or the, the player response and, and, uh, the game that I don't like here in retrospect or in, in looking at it again, it is between the systems of the game and, and the narrative desire because it's all of this fetch mode of shit mm-hmm. that, that I'm just like, Oh my God, we were just dragging so much. Just l- let Rose use a computer <laughs> for the love of God. Just let her use a computer. <laughs> And so it's and and looking at it because I was in my mind I was like oh this must be like fan stuff but it's not it's it's actually just like I I think this might even not be fan driven or, or player driven um, it this might just be the game playing itself in some ways and uh, it's just the game interacting with its own rules that that I find annoying here um, so I just wanted to revise that very quickly yeah. well okay I mean there you go it it doesn't change the fact that. I mean, and this is this is actually in some ways like characteristic of Homestuck. Like there's literally a, a clock on the wall that's counting down to the point that this lab is going to be exploded. It says, <laughs> you know, Skynet Laboratories unestablished in and then it's just a countdown. So there's this implication that since this building was first like constructed, it has been counting down to its own destruction. Uh, and so like that's happening. And also Rose's house is burning down. But uh, she herself is never really in any sort of uh, like hurry. She doesn't seem like it at least. And part of that, you know, is maybe, you know, Rose characterization. But as I said, this is kind of like a thing that will happen in Homestuck is that characters are going to be in life and death situations constantly. And they're always going to find, Mm -hmm. even when reader commands go away, uh, are going to find uh, opportunities to just do the most useless thing possible. Great. Excellent. That's just what I love. Um, uh, you want to talk about this, uh, Scalawagus Mendicant, what are they called? This is a thing that I hinted to you before the podcast even started, which is that the Kevin Costner film, The Postman, is directly plot relevant to Homestuck. <laughs> Insofar as, as PM, uh, is in the same way that, uh, WV is into mayors and, and, uh, like representative democracy um uh pm is into like specifically civic infrastructure with regard to mail and uh yeah yeah, that's that's (laughs) what's going on there yep well but well and also the other thing here too right is like we saw you know uh the at the end of the last act right we saw um the vagrant fly over Mm -hmm. that was in the last act right yes it was the end of act animation back too so we, we saw the, like fly over the mendicant who was like hanging out on the ground with a bunch of mailboxes and all that stuff. And in this act, the the in this section of the act, is that the uh, the PM gets inside of like a big orb, and it like writes itself. It's got the big Spurb logo on it, and then it flies off into the sky, mm-hmm. a little helicopter thing. And so like everyone is going to the same place, and ultimately that's what happens in this thing is that the the future the far future people 
um, the vagrant and the mendicant, they are both, they end up in the far future of where Jade mm-hmm. lives mm-hmm. in the Pacific, which, which is not the Pacific Ocean anymore, but is at the time of Jade's life, kind of an island in the Pacific. You know, another sort of like, you know, twist of the puzzle box or whatever is that moment when uh, PM is in the station and turns like or you know, I don't turns on the monitor or whatever and sees Jade and seems to recognize Jade. Uh what PM says is something like, Don't I know you? Um and then mm. Jade is like in the screen, this is uh not a moment that we've seen of Jade yet. It's and this is, you know, more time travel stuff. It's it's what you talked about. Like this does not appear to be a moment we have seen Jade experience in our kind of like view of the narrative, which means it is either something from the past or something from the future that is now because we have seen it uh, destined to happen regardless of reader commands. Uh, And Jade is like shaking her head and there's like some sort of weird green static or interference. And then the uh, station just explodes and PM can no longer uh, communicate with Jade, uh, which is, you know, the, the thing that WV was doing was using that command station to control John uh, to like give him commands. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, Jade is not going to have that relationship with PM. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the vagrant had it within his own little QB thing. Mm -hmm. Little what becomes a rocket apparatus (laughs) or whatever. Um, But yeah, so they end up on the same spot, you know, in the same place. um, Eventually, um, I mean, you've already kind of run through the thing. I'm trying to think of other major stuff that happens here. I mean, I think it's uh, pretty sad when John realizes that his dad is a yeah. <laughs> regular human being. I mean, yeah, I was going to ask you about that because you had kind of a reaction to to the notion of John's dad being a street performer way back at the beginning. And, you know, here's... Yeah, I'm just as enchanted. Look, I'm a fool just like John Egbert is, okay? <laughs> um, I bought the myth. I bought the legend. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to print the legend, and uh, that's what happened here. But really, John's dad's just boring, and he is just a businessman who like wears ties and his little hat and his shoes, mm-hmm. and uh, he's just living his life. And he's trying to make, he's trying to connect with his son ultimately, mm-hmm. maybe with all this clown stuff. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, what I what I do like about this is how it. So at the after the end of Act Two, uh, when everyone is like. And everyone, you know, scare quotes, but like the 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 reader response is like, oh, holy crap, all of this, like, you know, the, the world just sort of like expanded in all these ways. What incredible twists and the way that the narrative chooses to then respond to people responding to the plot twists is to like give kind of like to to present something that is essentially an almost an anticlimax uh, as if it <laughs> yes, as if it is a massive plot twist and has like you know this entire flash animation where john is just like staring at all of his dad's ties on the tie rack and like the text is flashing and it says like you know most shocking twist yet not a clown at all just a businessman i guess (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah just a businessman is treated as like the biggest thing also his dad also likes harry anderson yes (laughs) (laughs) so john's more like his dad than he knows so, yeah, I, I, I like this. I like this as a, as a development um, because I got to experience the same disappointment as John. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, I think it's good, you know, and it seems like John's dad, it seems like John's dad, like, whips ass. He's, like, killing imps. Every time we see him, he's, like, 
stomping imps to death and killing them and shit. It's wild. Yeah, he's just like obliterating imps. They cannot keep him <laughs> contained. <laughs> yes. Uh, he's like picking up entire safes and like throwing them and oh, it's great. Yeah, they keep trying to put larger and larger safes outside of his door to block him in, basically like Rose did, <laughs> and it's not working. Yes. He's picking them up and hitting them with it. Uh, and it's knocking them out of Andor and Orlando here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, purple and Orlando. Um, mm-hmm. So we're going to learn a lot more about Purpo. Pur- Purpo. That's what we call it. That's the Purpo. name of this place. Purpo. <laughs> <laughs> Purpo. Uh, something weird that happens here. So we get this imp that you alluded to, this kind of like leader imp in this like purple purple place in Purpo. Because mm-hmm. uh, we don't know what it is yet in, in the Purpo zone. Um, we're getting this this imp and we get a little like inter-name thing. You know, same as same as everything else. I think that's where we ended here, right? Is that yeah, true? but we can talk a little bit about like what happens beyond that because it's also we're just we're going to pick up next part. So... Um, if you wanted to end us on kind of an observation here. Oh, well, actually, what, uh, let's uh, let's talk about two two things here then. I, I, I will definitely end on the observation, but uh, the, uh, well, actually, so let's, uh, we'll save, I'll save imp talk because I do think it's important. Let's just uh, start the next episode with it. But another couple things I think are really interesting here that just kind of show up in different ways toward the end. Because as you said, this is kind of a um, less dense act. You know, mm-hmm. like a lot of things happen. I think we've mostly covered them. But like little interesting wrinkles here. Um, we get John's ASCII art that oh, he makes. Yes, John's part of the FAQ. Yeah, so John is going back and because Rose asked him, like, hey, if you know more about what's happening in Suburb, go add to the FAQ so that people can know about it. And uh, I, I don't know if we've talked before about, like, the other people who have made these FAQs, uh, but there's Chaos Demon, Sanctuary Remix, and Winnie the Poop. Mm-hmm. Winnie the Poop 2. <laughs> Winnie the Poop 2. <laughs> Oh, that's good. But yeah, so like John like is like laying out his theory of the the punch cards that we've talked about already with the design X and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I don't really care about any of that. And I can't imagine it matters um, in a real and serious way other than knowing that the system exists. Um, so there's that. But he does like ASCII art of a full punch card in case you want to replicate mm-hmm. it. And then he does at the end ASCII art of like the, the green ghost, the green goo ghost mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's great. I think that's very good. Mm-hmm. It's it's wonderful. It's and it's because uh, when Rose begins her FAQ, she's like, "I'm not going to do all of the stuff you expect here with the ASCII art and so on and so forth." Which, if you know, for some reason you're listening to this and you've never you know booted up game FAQs, uh, doing your ASCII art banner is was a big thing. I assume it still is if people are still making uh, uh, you know walkthroughs there. Uh, but then, of mm-hmm. course, John comes in and he's just going to go nuts with the ASCII art. Yeah, he's definitely spent more time with the ASCII art than he has writing this like punctuationless <laughs> <laughs> like FAQ that he's working on. The other thing is that Jade gets trolled. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jade meets carcinogeneticist, uh, which is this was interesting to me uh, because and I obviously i i have been on the internet recently i know that trolls still exist and this is still kind of the feeling of it um but the there is a there 
feels like a difference in like the modern internet of being like on a platform like Twitter or Discord and then suddenly some random person shows up and starts yelling at you versus like this feeling of what it was like on AIM where like that person had to look up your screen name through like this big directory or something like that and you could just like suddenly get messages from some person that you do not know but they hate you. Yeah, it's definitely a different quality of getting messages from someone you don't know and they hate you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, I think the same impetus is there, but, like, the, the platform determines how that happens. And, yeah, you're right. You're, so there's all the... When, when you had random people just show up and, like, just be a huge asshole to you for no reason that you didn't know, there was always this kind of weird thing of, like, who gave them my username? Mm-hmm. And is this someone I already know? Mm-hmm. Like, is this someone who I know who is just being a dick to me because they can, because there's no way for me to know one way or the other? Um, that very much was a vibe, mm-hmm. at, you know, at, at the I time. I mean, I did that. Uh, but yeah, so we get that. Oh, f- uh, uh, Michael, yeah. are you oh, kidding yeah. me? You're being a little little trolly 15-year-old? Yeah, I'm younger than that. I was trolling people when I was like 13, when I was the oh, age of no. these kids. Oh, no. Were you doing this? Were you saying rude stuff oh, to people? Oh, yes. 1,000%. <laughs> Oh, that's bad. I, I don't think... Maybe I did that. I don't know. I, I don't remember. I don't have strong memories of doing that. Um, I, I, I mean, I have strong memories of this era of, you know, age of being, like, in middle school. I, I you know, I remember, um, like, the development of, uh, you know, I guess what culturally 10 years previous would have been, like, prank phone calling. Mm-hmm. I do remember, you know, it would be like three or four of us like at a sleepover, you know, we would be around someone's computer and we would like get in public chat rooms and like pretend to be another person like and like do like public trolley kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, you'd immediately get banned, mm-hmm. right? Like um, that uh, Internet culture had developed far long enough to where people could identify a 13 year old being being an asshole <laughs> in public pretty easily. Uh, certainly the hive mind of 13 year old boys yes. <laughs> was pretty easily identifiable, I think. Um, so I, we did, you know, some of that I remember, but I, I think that ultimately my computer access time was so limited that, that I spent way more time like using, like legitimately using the internet than I did like trolling people. Uh, cause mostly the people that I knew on the internet were like people I knew from school and like some people who were very few people at that age, like 12, 13, I think I knew very few people who I had like you know, aim, um, contact with who were not like people I knew in real life. Um, I, you know, it was pretty, pretty, um, uh, I was gonna say beaten into me. I don't know if it was actually beaten <laughs> into me, but it was impressed upon me very, very, uh, seriously at a young age that like people are on the internet and they're going to get mm-hmm. you. Um, and I actually had some of that happen to me as a, as a pretty young kid. Um, where I was just like some people like someone sent me a message. And I was probably like 10 years old, maybe or something. Someone had like sent me a message and, uh, they were like, uh, you know, who are you? And I'm like 10 years old. And I was like, I'm a 10 year old, like <laughs> legitimately, uh, because you know, I don't know anything and I'm just like using the internet and I don't know what, how I'd gotten onto it. Right. It was just kind of free, 
you know, navigation or whatever. And my mom walked up, you know, I was being monitored, apparently very lightly, but I guess monitored. And my mom was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, what is going on here? Like, who are you? And was like, who the fuck are you? Like, and I was like, oh, this is bad. I don't ever want this to happen again. <laughs> So I, you know, I guess like the big other of that experience, you know, lingered in my head for a very long time. Uh, but that didn't happen for for young Michael. Young Michael was hooting and hollering and getting on the anonymous internet and uh, being rude to people. Well, let me tell you what I did, and then let's look at okay. uh, what CG is up to here. Mm-hmm. Here is what I would do. I would go into chat rooms. I had a, a dummy account that I made that I would do this with. Mm-hmm. I didn't use my main account that I mm-hmm. used to talk with my friends. I would go into chat mm-hmm. rooms. Cowboy Michael 69, mm-hmm. of course. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, I would go into chat rooms and I would uh, say like I would I had like a, a basically a piece of copy that I had written. I was writing ad copy at, at, at 13, <laughs> uh, but I would just like uh-huh. paste it sure. in. And it's the sort of thing that was very common in chat rooms at the time where you would have, per, you know, someone and very often it was like, you know, if you want to have a sexy time, like, you know, private message me or whatever. But I would do that because mm, uh, yeah. this is the other thing that people would say. It's like if you want a free psychic reading. OK, um, so I would pose I would pose as a uh, uh, the, the character that I had was actually like, you know, sort of vague, like an adult. Right. I wasn't saying like I'm 13 years old. Yeah. Please private message me to, to get a psychic reading. Uh, but I had like some sort of I don't even remember like the mysterious moniker that I had. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like free psychic readings, you know, uh, uh, private message me and whatever. And I would just like drop that in the chat a couple of times and see if anyone bit. And if they did, I would uh, for a little bit and I could have I could do this so much better now for the record because I have a sense of comedic timing. Uh, But I would slowly, by which I mean very quickly, escalate from being very normal to being very weird. Uh, But it was always stuff like, you know, I start out giving you an actual psychic reading and then I start talking about horrible things that I see maybe happening to you. Uh, All of the all of the things that the spirits are telling me, you know, just up into, you know, a straight up nonsense until i'm like you know completely like the person the other person blocks me or stops talking to me because i'm just you know being a a huge jerk and and uh saying like i'm not like i want to be clear i'm not like you know just being racist at people or something it's more like uh a 13 year old you are you are rp yes in such a way to troll. People. Yes, exactly. Like, what is like, what is the weirdest thing that a psychic could say to you while still plausibly being a person who thinks that they're a psychic on the internet? You've, you've, you have the 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 core soul like essential essentiality of Michael has been in, uninterrupted your entire life. <laughs> How so? <laughs> this is the most you thing I've ever heard of you being like, all right, I'm going to troll people and be rude and mean to them on the internet. But how am I going to do it? What if I were a psychic who was rude? Right. And like telling you, like, <laughs> like telling you the worst possible things are going to happen to you, yeah. right? Doomsday prophecies. Yeah. This is the most indirect trolling. I'm sure it was annoying for people, but it's not particularly uh, traumatic, perhaps. Yeah. Um, as, as some trolling is. This is actually probably, you know, when me when people make a distinction, and you can see this in a lot of places, uh, you can read, uh, so you can read Whitney Phillips' book. If, if people aren't familiar with this, uh, Whitney Phillips has this book called This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things. Um, it's called This Is Why We Can't Have Nice Things, Mapping the Relationship Between Online Trolling and Mainstream Culture from MIT Press. It came out a few years back, 2015. 
it's an interesting book in a general sense. It really is highly focused on something awful in 4chan, I would say, more than anything else. But, you know, there's kind of an older internet distinction between, like, what... You know, trolling now is is pretty flat mm-hmm. in, in how people talk about it. And generally, it just means people being huge assholes and, and um, saying hate speech at other people. Mm-hmm. That's, yes. I think, what trolling is. But trolling uh, used to have a lot of kind of semantic distinctions within mm-hmm. it, where um, it wasn't just being mean to people. It was often just doing annoying things. And there's kind of like this big scaffolding of, of different things. And I'm not saying that because I think that there needs to be some sort of fine-grained distinction, but rather that there were different understandings historically of what trolling and the action of trolling meant uh, than what they are in 2021, or even what they were in what they were in 2015 when the Whitney Phillips uh, book came out. So that's actually really, if you're interested in, in like, because what Michael is doing right now, my or is describing, uh, you know, from being a 13 year old or a 12 year old or whatever, might sound like pranksterism, and that is much closer, I think, to the way that the word trolling was used in 2005, 2006, than it is mm-hmm. now, which is much more. Um, direct and uh, just hate speech for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, and Whitney Phillips's book does a very good job of, of kind of contextualizing that of like, here's how these things have shifted and here's how the platforms they went through places like the forums, um, you know, at something awful things like the boards at 4chan and then onto Twitter, how those things, and then like what political groups you became, uh, began to see trolling as a strategy in a broad sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, overwhelmingly absorbed by the right wing on the internet. But it does a pretty good job of like denoting the different periodizations of the way that trolling worked without ever letting anyone off the hook. You know, this is, it is not a book that is interested in like um, saying, well, we can't judge anyone for doing any trolling. That's not what the book is about. It is just about kind of historicizing what trolling meant at its various kind of different instantiation points. So very helpful for kind of giving a little bit of feedback on what Michael is saying here, Um, which, you know, in, in the realm of trolling is pretty light but rude stuff. Yes, right. Like pranksterism is exact. Like that was how I like came to the idea of trolling was like, oh, trolling is when uh, you make up a little persona and you pretend to be that person and you just like do not give up on the bit. Uh Right. A a little similar to what we talked about, like, uh, you know, on forums last time where like a person comes out with kind of like the most obtuse or contrarian opinion and then just refuses to hear anything otherwise, like Mm -hmm. any sort of undermining Mm -hmm. of their position. Uh, Yeah. Or the the kind of very famous uh, the like copy copy paste thing of like I put on my robe and wizard Mm -hmm. hat Mm -hmm. like that thing. Huge inspiration. You want to. Yeah, like, I don't know who made that up initially, but it's, uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's like a little, like, set of chat logs, basically, where someone is, like, inviting other people to, uh, you know, like, uh, cyber sex role play kind of stuff, and then it always begins with this person becoming a wizard. Yes. And, like, do, and, like, it's full of, like, rude language, and I don't know, uh, uh, you know, it probably, I have not read this in a full decade, so I have no idea how it reads in 2021. It was a little bit risque at the time, certainly even within the internet culture of the early two thousands. But the vibe there was like, you're committed to the bit and you're luring people in who don't know that there's a bit. And then you're going to cyber sex as a wizard and like get involved in like metaphysics the whole time while that's happening. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, so very much part of like the trolling culture at the time. And what's interesting about here in Homestuck is that we're seeing like kind of different versions of troll culture emerge in different ways. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so, I mean, we have a carcinogeneticist who shows up and, you know, hello again, idiot. Uh, actually, it's hi again, idiot. Uh, so we already know that these characters have talked before, and this is, uh, you know, the first time the trolls have shown up in this story. Like, they are introduced already, like, sort of post-talk, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. And we, we saw, like, the troll slum, which is where the the troll, like, the you know, Pester Chum as a chat client has a, a thing called a troll slum where you put, I guess, the, the users that you hate. One would think that it's something like a block list, uh, but this is where uh, we get kind of the first glimpse of these usernames. And what this uh, character does is say, you know, so I guess today is finally the day you fuck everything up. Uh, Jade makes a, a sort of outraged emoticon. Is there nothing I can do to change your mind? Uh, she says, you can leave me alone. Uh, how can you even be talking to me after I blocked you and after I logged out? Uh, CG says, you don't get that I am better and smarter than you in every way forever. You don't get that because you are incredibly stupid. Uh, and then she blocks uh, CG again. Um, and like, so some visual things to note. Uh, CG types in all caps uh, and in gray. So all of the other characters have, we've talked about this, they have their own voices uh, and, and sort of typing styles. Uh, and they also have their own text colors. And they're all like bright colors. So the, the troll first emerges here as someone typing in all caps um, with punctuation, uh, but gray text. So already mm -hmm. sort of like outside kind of the bounds of these four friends that we've established in some weird way. Um, and then doing, you know, I mean, when I was pretending to be a psychic, like these are the sorts of things that I would say. I mean, not specifically these things, but it was like, oh, my God, you've made a huge mistake and there's nothing you can do about it, uh, which is, you know, just another weird thing where uh, Michael's life and some bizarre random element of Homestuck seem to align. Uh, but, you know, uh that's that's the first introduction of the trolls and Cameron you are mm -hmm. as ignorant as you can be about Homestuck but if anyone has ever heard anything about Homestuck uh probably what they know about is the trolls I well look I I I can honestly say I don't know because I've heard the word trolls before and I know there's a bunch of like gremlin looking dudes running around with horns uh -huh. and stuff on and I, I'm I'm just putting two and two together here. I'm just using my radical empiricist mind to determine if these things are related or not. I'm assuming that they are, but I, I honestly do not know. I assume that they're trolls, and I can see that there's a shitload of mm. them because there's a lot of people in the troll slum. But uh, other than that, I really don't know anything about them, and I'm being very serious about okay. that. Okay, well, we're going to keep it that way. Um, but mm -hmm. I, you know, I, I felt like even in terms of like spoilers, I feel like this is one that is, um, it, it's almost end of sixth sense kind of stuff in, in the way that like the, the trolls going forward are going to become such a central part of what Homestuck is and what it looks like in, mm -hmm. in kind of a public facing way, uh, that it's, mm -hmm. I don't know, it's just, it's just worth being like, and here's how they show up, even though it's this very short conversation. Uh, and this is where the idea, you know, gets born, um, or not, you know, yeah. obviously it was born before this panel was made, but, uh, one of the things Hussey mm -hmm. has admitted is that like the trolls were not really a thing from the beginning. The trolls were inserted mm -hmm. here, like sort of consciously thinking that, uh, you know, more could be done with them later, but it wasn't from page one that we, we were going to have trolls in this story. 
Yeah, and and like you're saying, you know, they come kind of become emblematic of the whole thing. You know, they they stand in for Homestuck to the extent that I don't think I'd ever seen John Egbert before. I mean, I've, when I've, I've like read the first few panels of Homestuck before or whatever, uh, and so obviously I've seen him. But as far as like iconographically in the world, like I've seen a bunch of memes with these little horned kids on them mm-hmm. and like all kinds of shit like that. But I don't. I'm. I am just assuming those are the trolls, and I. I've never seen Rose before, mm-hmm. like even one time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to bring up the trolls. And I wanted to talk about those here uh, before the end of the episode, and I think that we have established those. We're going to see those again in the next uh, uh, segment that we're recording here. The other thing is this little uh, Easter egg. I think this is the first Easter egg, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there aren't like a huge number of these throughout Homestuck, and in fact, there was a. Uh, one Easter egg that we passed over that I'm not going to say anything more about because it's going to be more it it's going to be better talked about later when uh, at, at a much, much mm-hmm. later part in the story. Um, I'll just say uh, I, I if anyone like wants to message us about the Easter egg that I have obviously missed. Don't worry. I know it's there. I know about that thing. We'll talk about it. Sure. And I'll say I'll say in a general sense, please don't message me about Homestuck. Yeah. And don't tell Cameron anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well we've already had a couple people and uh not not in any way in a rude way and I, i'm not this is not like me being like don't contact me but we've had a couple people who have um like sent me gms or whatever about like information about homestuck or like clarifications about things and it, please don't send me those messages because i feel like some of that stuff that that is be that has been dm'd to me are things that are going to show up later or be important later and I, you know, part of the way the show works, and I think, you know, the intent of the show is that Michael is the guy who's getting me through it. And uh, so I don't want to, I, I, I want the community to less guide me through the show than I want Michael to, if that makes sense. So I really appreciate people like very politely sending me information, but you don't have to do that because, um, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm being kept in the dark on purpose in some ways. Uh, but feel free to my message Michael all day long about. Homestuck. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that, uh, he enjoys it. Yes. I love it. Uh, no. So yeah, that's sort of just my thing is to, uh, assume generally speaking that if I have not mentioned something that you as a, a longtime Homestuck reader or fan have, uh, you know, know is going to become important later or you think could, could have been brought up then. Uh, you should probably assume that I have chosen not to bring it up because I think Cameron and I are going to have a better conversation at a later point in the story. That's usually the case. Yeah. What you should do if if you're one of those listeners, uh, you should just listen for all of the times, which I have done many of up until this point, uh, where I have said things that should mean something to you that they don't mean to Cameron, I guess is how I'll put that. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, tricked. Mm, mm. The prankster's gambit does not stop from getting more uh, mine. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, sorry. So, I, uh, so, oh, so we want to talk about the Easter egg. Uh, so let's talk about the Easter egg, and then I want to talk about John Egbert doing this big fight. Okay. Oh, yeah, because the other is uh, Dave is getting his ass kicked by bro, but John is also fighting a bunch of ogres, so... Yeah, 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 yeah. So the Easter egg happens on 9.38. Oh, yeah. So there's, like, this whole, like, uh, we find out, I don't, what, I don't really understand, like, what all of this, like, 
Jasper's being sent back and forth in time, like what that means mm-hmm. <laughs> and like where Jasper's was this whole time. I'm assuming that's going to come up at some yes. point and there will be more information. So I just, I'm assuming this is not a problem, but more of a, you know, just a, a little stub to get us interested for later. Uh, but yeah, after this like animation where like Rose is learning all this stuff, there's a little like doobly-doo that appears in the bottom right of the screen. Well, actually, we should talk a little bit more about this animation because it's part of what makes this Easter egg, sure. I think, work is how it plays off of the specific animation that it forks from. Uh, okay. The animation is uh, Rose, as I already said, Rose found this like weird uh, cloning machine that does something called ectobiology. Uh, and what it does is that it sort of looks like a, a, you know, it's like a computer monitor that appears to be showing events from the past. And, uh, and specifically in this case, it's locked on to Jasper's. And it's just like showing like, you know, it, it's it's if it, as if you were watching a video of the life of Jasper's from beginning to end. And so Rose like starts in the past and then fast forwards to the present and we see like uh you know jasper's telling uh rose his secret and then disappearing and then washing up as a corpse uh on the beach later and then the funeral that mom holds for him and like the mausoleum that she builds and we see the you know rose coming into that mausoleum later when she starts playing the game and the entire thing is set to a song called uh corral for jasper's um, who who composed that? I don't have the name written down. Mm, uh, Michael Guy Bowman. Yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, someone who does a lot of um, Homestuck music. Not the last time we're going to get a, a Bowman track. Uh, and so it's it's Corral for Jaspers, and it's a a very sad sort of like funeral like. Uh, sort of pipe organ song, uh, but that is also backed up by a bunch of cats yowling. Uh, and so, you know, imagine a funeral dirge with cats yowling and that's what this song is. And then, uh, at the end of the flash, you get a little, uh, you know, what do what do you call the doobly doo in the corner? It's like a pink horseshoe that just appears and, uh, disappears very quickly. And then when you click on that, it takes you to another page, a sort of second flash, uh, that is the Easter egg. And Cameron, what do you have to say about this? There's a little, uh, it's just Rose riding on maple hoof. Yep. And the song that is playing is a remix of the chorale that we just heard. Mm-hmm. It is no longer like a, a funeral dirge with yowling cats. It's just like a a, a sort of old west like like someone's whistling. Uh and you get yeah, Rose uh riding on the back of Maple Hoof with uh her scarf whipping behind her in the wind and every so often a piece of uh like a sketch that Hussey has done uh flashes up on the screen and it's like very quick like you know clearly like a little uh you know maybe like a warm up sketch or something of like you know Rose holding an apple out to Maple Hoof to so uh Maple Hoof can snack on it and things like that. Mhm. It's just uh delightful. Mm-hmm. And it really fills out because, you know, Rose earlier has this kind of fantasy of, of uh, you know, what if she grabbed the scarf and took off on Maple Hoof? Yes. And, uh, you know, it's this kind of like weird alternate reality of like, um, what if that had occurred? Well, here mm-hmm. here's what it would look like. Really feels like what you were talking about last time where uh, Hussey would offer uh, the ability to purchase alternate panels. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that, but as just an Easter egg. Um, yeah, you know, it's that kind of fan fulfillment uh, as as its own Easter egg. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting um, in in a broad sense there. 
Yeah, it's fun. It was I remember finding it. I remember finding it live and being very delighted. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, people. uh, It had to be the kind of thing where people were like, oh, my God, Easter eggs now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So we get this like really cool moment where John is starting to become like a badass superhero. So he's like whipping (laughs) around. This is on eight. Uh, 879, I think. So we get this weird mm-hmm. thing where Rose is watching. Um, <laughs> John Egbert, she's like navigating Sims wise, and we have to physically click this thing, you know, like mm-hmm. you would have to click on the Sims. You got to click all around, and then uh, we go up uh, to the roof, and like John's like bouncing back and forth and doing some of the stuff that we saw in the last episode, um, uh, you know, in, at the end of Act Two, where he's beating up these things, but he does some really cool stuff here where he's like flipping around, and then uh, he Rose tries to help him by like dropping a fridge and then the ogre takes it and smashes him. And mm-hmm. then his Nana catches him in an oven <laughs> and then yes. rockets him out of it. But so there's this really cool way where like the action itself is doing the same thing. The narrative is doing where it's like things that are in play in the story are just as in play during these action bits mm-hmm. and like supercharging people. I really like that. I think it's very fun. And like Nana summons up a bunch of like, appliances and shit and drops them on people i think yeah. it's really good yeah she's like shooting cookies out of the oven at the ogres and things <laughs> yes. uh, we also find out that nana can heal john uh because <laughs> yes. she's like you know she's an npc like she's a companion npc and so she heals him when the ogres beat him up too much yeah i like nana nana's great yeah uh, uh, but yeah, so uh, we we progress through this whole thing and do all these kinds of parts we've talked about in different ways, and then we end with this like imp lord guy. Imp lord um, is a good good thing to call him. Let's let's call him an imp lord. <laughs> imp lord, uh, who currently does not have a name, but we will very quickly figure out the name in the uh, the next part of this episode. Yeah, so we are Ranged Touch. Uh, thanks for, for listening. If you like this show, uh, you can find out, you know, whenever new episodes are up or find other links to, you know, our other shows at twitter.com slash Ranged Touch. Uh, we also have, you know, videos at youtube.com slash Ranged Touch and everything is, you know, centralized at rangetouch.com. Uh, if you want to support us and the work that we do on this show or others, you can go to patreon.com slash range touch and, you know, give us a, a dollar a month helps it, you know, uh, keeps us kind of going. It, it ensures that, uh, we can continue to produce this content and kind of make sure that it, it hits the, the level that we want it to. Um, is it range touch.com slash store where you can get t-shirts now? It is range touch.com. Mm-hmm. Well, I can do it again. Shop slash shop. Shop. Okay. Shop. Okay. Think we're in an RPG. Yep. Is, is, I yeah. I don't know why I did that, but that's how it is. <laughs> yeah. If you go to rangetouch.com slash shop, uh, you can find some, uh, you know, if, you, if, if Patreon is not your thing, uh, then rangetouch.com slash shop is, uh, you know, the, the, we'll take you to our store where we have some t-shirts and, and, and a print. Um, nothing necessarily Homestuck related up there right now, uh, but neat things nonetheless. Um, is there anything else that we want to mention, Cameron? I don't think so. Thanks so much uh, for everyone. If you contribute to the Patreon, thanks so much for that. That's the whole reason we're doing this show. And if you don't contribute to the Patreon, think about doing that. If you like listening to the show and you enjoy it, it takes a lot of work uh, on Michael's part and a fair amount of work on my part uh, to make this show happen. And, uh, you know, uh, if you think that's worth three bucks a month or five bucks a month, think about throwing some money in the hat. You get all kinds of other benefits, too. 
Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, join us in episode two, part two, when we will finish up uh, act three. That is to say, we are going to read up until page 1,153, and that will close out act three for us. Uh, so see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.